This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. None above him and none before him. It's going to be our focus this morning as we spend some time together in God's Word. Can we really say that in our life? That there is truly none that we put before the Lord at all. Or would our life tell us? Otherwise, we're going to be in 2 Kings 17 and 18 this morning. Before you get worried and look at that and say, Wilson, that is like 70 verses. We're not going through every verse. We'd be here till, uh, for quite a while if that was the case. <clears throat> but we're going to pick through these accounts this morning and, and I think learn some good stuff about devotion being devoted to the Lord, finding ourselves in a place where truly we find there to be nothing that we're placing before Him. And so I'm going to begin this morning by reading from 2 Kings 17, and we're going to begin with verse 37 and go down through verse 41. It says, In the statutes and the rules and the law and the commandment that He wrote for you, you shall always be careful to do. You shall not fear other gods. You shall not forget the covenant that I have made with you. You shall not fear other gods, but you shall fear the Lord your God. And he will deliver you out of the hand of all your enemies. However, they would not listen, but they did according to their former manner. So these nations feared the Lord and also served their carved images. Their children did likewise, and their children's children, as their fathers did, so they do to this day. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I just pray that today can be very simple, very challenging very awakening to us that we would just be reminded of the need to be devoted solely to you. Jesus, not you plus many other entities of life, Lord, but Jesus, you plus nothing else. Lord, we want to be right with our Heavenly Father. And Jesus, we know that you are the way, the truth, and the life. So challenge us this morning in whatever ways you may desire to challenge us, encourage us, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. You know, I've been thinking recently about the fact that we often mimic those that we are most closely associated with. Now, as a father, I've learned that this is nowhere greater the case than between children and their parents or their guardians, right? So, Karis is going to be two years old here in a few weeks. I think I mentioned that the other week. I'm getting to that point where I, when, I, when I preach, I use my children as an illustration. I remember I'm a pastor's kid, and I used to hate that. That would be the worst. But she's so young now, she won't know about it, all right? 
But, uh, but no, so she's getting to that age now where she mimics us. We have to be very careful what we say because she's like a parrot. It's amazing. You know, her little vocabulary is growing steadily. It's regularly expanding. It's real, it's real cute, but it's also very humbling in many ways. Here's what I want us to consider this morning is that our devotion denotes our directive. Our devotion denotes our directive. And when we think about what are we most devoted to and when it comes to our directive, what is our directive in life, I would say that that which we spend and consume the most time with, we expel the most energy towards, is going to influence the directive of our life. And so as, as we begin today, we, we need to stop and pause when we think about devotion. I want you to consider this morning, what am I most devoted to in life right now? For some, it may be you really are seeking to be devoted to the Lord. Your heart's set on Him. You're being discipled. You're seeking to be obedient to His commands within Scripture. You're seeking to honor Him with your life. That devotion is maybe becoming streamlined. In other cases, there may be some of us that our devotion is very scattered. Perhaps we're consumed by our job. Perhaps we're consumed by um, our social constructs that we have set up around us. Um, perhaps we're consumed with things that seem to be good on the outside, family and friends and fellowship and things of that nature. Perhaps we're consumed with culture. And culture is most actively discipling us. We need to take a pause this morning and understand, where is my devotion? And where we're going to look in Scripture today is in 2 Kings 17 and 18. As I mentioned, we're just going to kind of pick through 17 a little bit and then pick through 18 a little bit. And we're going to look at two kings here in these texts. Now, the first king that we're going to look at here, King Hosea, was not faithful to the Lord. We know that he was, we see elements of insecurity within him. We see elements of idolatry within him. We see a sense of him being divided and his kingdom being divided, right? And then we're going to look in chapter 18 as we close at King Hezekiah. Now we see that King Hezekiah reversed the course that those like his father had gone in the negative direction He's going to clear out the idols, clear out the high places, and he's going to seek to be devoted to the Lord. And we're going to see healthy devotion in that sense. But then we'll also be reminded today of the fact that even Hezekiah, who was good, at the end of his life, he got a little flimsy and welcomed the Babylonians into his treasure chest, and then his kingdom got taken away, right? Which, at the beginning, that should point us to one fact. There's one true king. Jesus Christ, right? As we study these kings, as we look through the scriptures, these things are pointing towards there's no human entity that can fulfill what Christ alone fulfills. I think it'll be encouraging for us. You know, as I was studying this, it was probably last November, I was going through a season in my life where God was challenging me on devotion, challenging me on areas in my life that had become what I would say to be idolatries, 
And I came across this text, and I was very challenged by it, because as we'll see here, as we work through this, we'll see the fact that some of these folks were getting to the point where they claimed to fear God, but it said they were still worshiping their carven images. And I want to ask you this morning, could it be that some of us step into a room like this today, we sit in a pew, we claim to fear God, we sing songs of praise to Him, we sit under His teaching, but yet if we looked at our everyday lives, our devotion is scattered, not direct, right? So that's kind of where we're going to be going today. So we're going to start with this. We're going to start in 2 Kings 17, and we're going to look at, within the life of Hosea, this sense of drifting. And we're going to start with the element of insecurity, right? Now let's look at chapter 17, and we're going to start by looking at verses 1 through 5. Please follow along in your, in your Bible there before you. 2 Kings 17, 1 through 5. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hosea, the son of Elah, began to reign in Samaria over Israel, and he reigned nine years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, yet not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, and Hosea became his vassal and paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria found treachery in Hosea, for he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, And offered no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him to prison. Then the king of Assyria invaded all the land and came to Samaria, and for three years he besieged it. So you look at this king, Hosea, and I think it's interesting as we study the kings. Now, some of you, if you're involved in one of our Sunday school classes, if you're not, you should get plugged into a Sunday school class. We have a lot of great options here within our body. Uh, But if you're in a Sunday school class that's going through Explore the Bible, we're actually going through the kings right now. I know with the students this morning and probably with the others, you know, we're in in a case now where you're studying through Solomon We know about all the wives that Solomon had accumulated over the years. It's interesting to look at a lot of these kings. They were very interested in developing these relationships with these other countries to be able to, in these other kingdoms, to be able to accumulate power. Right? To be seen in a sense of esteem, to have right standing, per se. You look here at Hosea, we see very quickly that as he came up against the king of Assyria, he very quickly sold out to him. It says that he became, in verse 3, his vassal and paid him tribute. That basically means he became his slave or his servant, right? He was seeking to to buddy up to him. He didn't want to cross paths, but then eventually, what does he do? He goes and tries to do the same thing with so king of Egypt. We see in verse 4, and the king of Assyria is like, No, no, no. You're supposed to pay tribute to me. And then what ends up happening, we see very quickly in verse, the end of verse 4, it says that he shut him up and bound him in prison, and then he invaded him and took all of his land. Now, Hosea was simply looking really for the next pathway to be able to have security and temporal gain. We see a sense of likely insecurity within him. He was cozying up to the culture, trying to seek to be satisfied, but instead, he found himself within a place of bondage. 
You know, he was always, it seems as if, looking opportunistically on the horizon. He was kind of showing a sense of loose free agency about the way that he carried himself in his kingdom's relationship and his wandering eyes for belonging ended up putting him in a place that he didn't want to be. In prison, invaded, and besieged. And we see ultimately it would lead these people into exile from their land they were in there in Samaria. You know, you think about a church, the, the pursuit of belonging and acceptance within the eyes of men is nothing more than a rat race which leads to bondage and defeat. You know, for many of us this morning, what truly keeps us from being devoted to the Lord is we're more concerned about what's going on around us. We want to be pleasing to people. I can be the worst of them. But we want to be, we're, a lot of us are people pleasers. I want people to like me. I want to find my belonging. We want to be up to date with the cultural trends. We want to have a voice with our peers. And sometimes it can lead us to a point where we'll ultimately end up selling ourselves out. Now, I love Psalm 4 and verse 7. You see there on the screen, it says, You've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. And peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Now, you look at this pathway of drifting. Typically, we drift towards things that we think are going to give us a lot. On the outside, it has great promise. We talked about this as I was sharing a couple weeks back out of Proverbs 7. Things that look great, but ultimately aren't going to deliver. Instead of we seeing here, if we trust in the Lord, we find rest, we find peace, we find sweet sleep, lasting joy and lasting peace. We see we avoid this drift as we satisfyingly delight in Christ alone. So we see that with Hosea. We see that his affairs that he dealt with within his kingdom, they were very scattered and it ended up biting him. And as we look into verse 6 and even verse 7 about them being captured and then being exiled and sent out into other places. Now, the, the next thing that I think we see within this lifestyle of drifting is a sense of idolatrous living. Right? Now, we'll see that. We're going to look through a couple places here. We'll begin in verse 7. It says, And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods. You look at it here at verse 7, we see they were directly disobeying the Lord. As we'll see as we continue on here, their fear of God was lacking. It's also interesting that it, the reference here is, pray, is, is directed towards the deliverance of the Lord, right? He's saying they forgot the faithfulness of their God. How he had delivered them from the hands of the king of Egypt. And what they were doing is they were exchanging it for the customs of the culture which were around them. Verse 8, And walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. So we see the very corrupt people that he had delivered them from. They're now forgetting the deliverance of the Lord and following after the ways of the corrupt people. And we look at that and we shake our head, but it very much can be the case for many of us. 
You know, they were stubborn in heart, despising, rejecting the ways of God, chasing after vanities and emptiness of the flesh, and they were left themselves empty. We see this in verse 14 and over into verse 16. It says, they would not listen, but they were stubborn as their fathers had been, who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols and they became false. And they followed the nations that were around them concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do like them. They were stubborn. You see there, I think in verse 15, there's some very strong statements that are made. It says they literally despised his commands. That means there's a sense of direct and deliberate disobedience. They were not adhering to the word of the Lord. And mind you, they were presented with it. There were prophets that came and spoke to them, and they rejected them. said, I'm not following in that pathway. There was a very conscious choice. It wasn't as if they were just aimlessly wandering and no one had given them direction. No, they were receiving direction. Well, actually, they weren't receiving it. They were rejecting it, right? We see that there, and as it goes into the end, it says they, I love the, the middle of this. It gives a strong imagery. They went after the idols, and they became like them. I think as I was reading this, I immediately, my mind went to Psalm 115, verse 4 and 5, and then verse 8. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. That psalm has always stood out, and it makes me think, the things that we chase after, seeking belonging, seeking acceptance, seeking fulfillment that simply are inanimate spiritually, right? They can't give us those things. Has all the looks of it, but no deliverance, right? We see that those who make those idols to be of prominence in their life, they will ultimately become like them. I look in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 24 through 26. This shows a little bit more about their stubbornness says, but they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and in the stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day after day. Yet they didn't listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. And we see that this unfaithfulness, it led to many perversions. They attach them th themselves to things such as astrology. We see even in these verses that surround, they start dabbling and delving into child sacrifice, sacrificing of their own children, idol worship. They were fully consumed within the culture. And we see here Hosea being king of Israel. And we're going to talk about Hezekiah, king of Judah here in a moment. But as it says here, if you were to look in verse 19. It also says, Judah also didn't keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but they walked in the customs that Israel had introduced. So you're just seeing waywardness to the extreme. You know, you think about it this morning, the less we reflect upon the beauty of the Savior, the further we drift from God's directives, the more prone we become to idolatrous living. You know, the less that we're spending time delving into truth, preaching the gospel to ourselves understanding what his commandments are and following forth in obedience, the more we're going to drift, 
there is an active void, right? And we fill that void, and all of us have this compulsion within us to fill said void. But there's only one answer that fills the void, and that's Christ alone, right? And what we see here is when we don't have Christ in that spot, there is a world of other idols that are waiting to fill it. In a room like this, each of us have a number of entities within our life that could quickly slide into that spot if our devotion begins to go wayward and wandering, right? We're a disciple of what most captivates and demands our attention. You look here, the culture captivated and demanded their attention, and they were discipled away, right? It's no different today. I can tell you this with complete confidence. The culture is actively discipling. You don't have to look far. The question is, are we here in the local church, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, are you being discipled, and are you discipling others? If, that is, if the answer to that is no, we've got huge problems. Because we have a culture that is actively discipling in us. We have to be intentional in our devotion to the Lord. And devotion means obedience. And obedience is, is fulfilling the commands that our Savior has given us. Which is to make disciples. Which is to live the truth. Which is to not be someone that ultimately is riding the fence. So we see that idolatrous living. We see divided. This one really got me as I was reading it. It says, uh, as this happened, mind you, so... The, as uh, we see Hosea and his people went wayward, they were exiled. What the king of Assyria did is he repopulated this land with people from other areas. These people were, had pagan-type worship practices. They get into the land, and as they get into the land, God starts bringing judgment on these people, and lions start coming, it says here, and attacking them. And they start wondering, what in the world's going on? Well, maybe we're not fearing the God of this land. And so they're like, hey, go back to the exiles, and we need one of their priests to come and teach us how we worship the God here. And so they go back and get a priest to come, and he teaches them. But it's interesting. The people that repopulated the land, we see they got a taste of God and what it means to quote-unquote worship him. But we're going to see in these verses we look at here, it's going to be a mixed bag where they're really just riding the fence. They knew enough about him, but they didn't truly fear him. It's going to say that they worshiped God or feared God, but also followed after their graven images and their idols. It says in verse 32, They also feared the Lord and appointed from among themselves all sorts of people as priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. So they feared the Lord, but also served their own gods after the manner of the nations from among whom they had been carried away. To this day, they do according to their former manner. They do not fear the Lord. They do not follow the statutes or the rules or the law or the commandment that the Lord commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. The Lord made a covenant with them and commanded them, You shall not fear other gods or bow yourselves to them or serve them or sacrifice to them, but you shall fear the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt with great power and with an outstretched arm. You shall bow yourselves to him, and to him you shall sacrifice. In the statutes and the rules and the law and the commandment that he wrote for you, you shall always be careful to do. You shall not fear other gods, and you shall not forget the covenant that I've made with you. You shall not fear other gods, but you shall fear the Lord your God, and he will deliver you out of the hand of all your enemies. However, they would not listen, but they did according to their former manner. These nations feared the Lord and also served their carven images." Their children did likewise, and their children's children, as their fathers did, so they did 
to this day. They were divided, right? They were consumed with their former way of life, fleshly living. They had just enough of God to make themselves feel comfortable, but living completely ignorant of his salvific power. Mighty hand of deliverance, unmatchable authority, and holy and righteous commands. They were living with casual awareness, but they instead should have been living with a trembling fear, right? These people were living waywardly. You know, I think about it up here, and I was thinking about us and, you know, as a people, and I was starting to think about Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, for some of us in the room this morning, we're becoming too conformed to the world, and we're seeing that our lives are not becoming aligned more and more daily with Christ. And that goes back to my question at the beginning as we kind of wrapped up this section about what it looks like to drift What are we filling that void, that hole with in our life? Are we consuming our time with uh, social media? Are we consuming our time watching network news for hours on end? Are we consuming our time in leisure? Are we consuming our, what what is it? You, You have to answer that question. I can't answer it for you. But if we're just mixing in with the culture, it can be easy for us to come in and out of a room like this, sit in the seats that we're sitting in, and go back out and never really be changed. It can be easy to sit in a room like this for several years and think that you're right with the Lord, only to never have really gotten it. The call to discipleship, the call of Christ upon our lives is for all of us to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him. Accomplished by the finished work of Christ Jesus, the Lord. Do we really fear God? Are we really disciples of Christ who are dependent, devoted, and obedient? When we're consumed by cultural rhythms and norms, we become devotionally distant and apathetic to God's commands. So that's the pathway of drifting. But let's close here today with what does it look like for us to live devoted, right? We see with Hosea and the people that kind of followed after him. They were wayward. Their affinities were all over the place. They followed the the trends of the culture. But now we see, beginning in 2 Kings 18, about Hezekiah, who, mind you, his his father Ahaz was, was not faithful to the Lord, had encouraged this idolatrous practice. But we see here, he didn't go along with the flow. There was a a change that happened. I like what David was saying at the beginning when he was talking about fathers and how the reality is there is no perfect father, right? There are people that, fathers of ours, that have made mistakes. But we have the opportunity as people each day to reset that course, to surrender before the Lord, to seek to be devoted to Him, to display sacrifice and surrender. Hezekiah, here, let's look at verse 4. First, what we're going to see is the fact that he was undivided. So we see with what we were just in, in 17, there was division of heart, riding the fence, claiming to follow the Lord, but also worshiping the graven images. We saw at the end, I didn't mention, but 
mind you, that had generational rippling effects, like generation after generation after generation followed in that pathway. That should humble us enough even today to think about is the nature of my worship that I'm displaying to those that are around me, my children, my grandchildren. Does it depict fear of the Lord, obedience to his commandments, trust in him as Savior? We see here with Hezekiah, verse 4 of 18, he was undivided. It says, he removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the asher and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it and it was called Nehustin. Now we see this fact that he removed, he broke, he cut down, he broke into pieces the bronze serpent. He was taking away things that were being placed up and propped up and idolized, right? This wasn't easy. It probably wasn't the, the coolest thing to do. These were hard choices that were marked by a trust in the Lord, right? We see it right there as we continue. You look even into verse 5, it talks about how he trusts him, right? You know, I was thinking about 2 Corinthians 6, 12 and 13. Paul is encouraging them. He says, you're not restricted by us, but you're restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as, as to children. Widen your hearts also. Right? So we look here with Hezekiah. He removed the affections of the flesh, and he said, we've got to set a right precedent here. We've got to set things in the right direction. We have to ask ourselves this morning, are we willing to deal directly with that which stands in the way of our devotion to the Lord? You know, the weeds of idolatry have to be choked out through the depths of applied gospel truth. You know, I've gotten, in the last year, at our house, I've gotten into doing my yard work and planted some grass last fall, and it looked really great in the fall. It looked really great this past spring. It looks really bad right now because it won't rain. It refuses to rain. My grass is just drying up, sad. But it's funny, as the grass has started drying up, guess what has started to pop up? Weeds. So frustrating. Brittany will tell you, I sit there, I'm pulling those weeds out. You know, trying to spray, and some of those things are just frustrating. But as it thins, when it's thick, there's not much room for those weeds to come up, right? But as it thins out, more and more weeds. It's no different with us today. If our walk with the Lord is thinned out, if our devotion is very shallow, if we're just on a baseline level of, yeah, I love the Lord, I'm part of a local church, but we're not actively obeying Him, if we're not invested in devotion, don't be surprised when the weeds come shooting on up, right? We have to make a conscious choice to get rid of the weeds, to deepen and enrich the soil of our life because it chokes it out, right? It chokes those weeds out of the way. We look here, we see the fact that there's a sense of worship. It says in verse 5, in verse 6, it says, He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. So there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him. The key was is he leaned on the Lord, right? Nor among those who were before him. He held fast to the Lord. He's clinging to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord had commanded Moses. As he clung tightly to the Lord, guess what the, what the result was? He obeyed. He trusted him, right? He leaned upon him. 
I was reading this and I was thinking of Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. We must be rooted. We must be grounded within him. You know, the competing spectacles which so often demand our attention must not be mistaken for the substances which sustain us, right? The substance which sustain us is Christ alone. We grow in obedience as we ultimately grow in surrender. And I think about this idea. We see us called to hold fast here. We see Hezekiah holding fast. But I love this last point in verse 7 through 8 that we have here today as the element of security, right? We looked in the divided kingdom. We looked with Hosea. He was displaying the picture of someone that was insecure, looking for grounding. But here with Hezekiah, we see someone who was secure. And why was he secure? Was it through his efforts? Was it through what he built up? I think verse 7 shows it says, and the Lord was with him. He was near. Wherever he went out, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from Watchtower to Fortified City. The Assyrians who Hosea just kind of bowed out to With Hezekiah, with the Assyrians, he stood strong and firm too, right? He was dependent upon the Lord. You know, we're not reaching to grasp God's attention, but rather the truth is, in Christ, we have his attention. That's an encouragement for us today. We hear a message about devotion, we're like, all right, I got to do more, I got to try harder. No, we got to know how he is near to us that fuels and encourages our devotional life. It, it allows us to walk in such a way that honors and glorifies him because we know that Christ has paid the price. He has settled the debt. He frees us to walk confident and secure in his ways. And I was thinking the other day as I was going through this about the, the old hymn, I hope is built on nothing less. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground. Is sinking sand. I ask you today, do you believe that? Is all other ground sinking sand? I know in a room this size, and I know even in my own life, there's elements where we far too easily drift. There's things within our life where we lean more on the cultural discipleship than we do upon Christ-centered discipleship, right? And dependence upon Him. Are we leaning on him today. You know, I think a few takeaways for today is we first simply must walk in faithful dependence upon Christ Jesus as Lord. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior today? Have you surrendered your life to him? Right? Call upon him, repent of your sins, and believe in Christ Jesus as Lord. Are you regularly reflecting upon priority within your life? That's a necessity for each of us. Each day when we get out of bed, we need to say, God, I know I'm prone to wander. You know how I wander. Lord, keep me rooted. Keep me grounded. Let me not chase after the idolatries. We must remove unhealthy competition. You know what it is. If we're spending too much time on social media and looking at what other people are doing and saying, if we're spending too much time watching network news and getting ourselves all worked up over what's going on in the world, or if we're spending too much time with our work or if our play... We need to say, I got to nix it. And it's hard because you're like, but I like watching news. I like being on social media. I really like leisure. 
But if it's an idol in your life, we have to deal aggressively with it. We have to do like Hezekiah did and wipe the shelf clean. I know it's hard because I struggle with it too, right? We got to be willing to do that. We got to be prayerfully obedient and expectant of growth. We must be obedient to the Lord. We must push back in discipleship, right? Because we are in a time where the Lord's return is growing near and we got to be ready for it, right? We got to be obedient. We cannot be passive. We cannot sit in these pews and go out into the streets during the week and come back here having never opened our mouth, having never sharing the truth, having never seeking to disciple one or be discipled, right? It's got to be serious to us. Now, I was thinking, um, you know, for some of us, we may feel like, well, where does it start? Wilson, I feel like I've lived my life and I've wasted some of it and I, I really want to do right and how do I, I flip the script? You know, I was thinking about my late, my late grandfather this past week as I was studying this, Jack Caldwell. Um, he grew up, lost his mom at 13. His dad was not really faithful, wasn't really faithful to his mom, wasn't really faithful to the family, didn't take a lot of time with him. Um, but my grandfather, Jack, he came to faith in Christ as a teenager and he flipped the script within the Caldwell family. I look at his kids, I look at his grandkids walking with the Lord, being obedient to him. I look at the life that my grandfather lived. You know, he, was, he loved people passionately, the lost, the least, the lonely. He'd served for years and years and in prison and jail ministries. He was always there and present for his kids. He was present for his wife. He was present for us as his grandkids. And I truly believe that I stand where I stand today because I had a grandfather that committed his life to the Lord and he lived it out. It wasn't passive. He flipped the script. What could have gone many different ways because he never really had it Christ got a hold of his heart, and the rest was history, right? I pray today that Christ would get a hold of your heart. Don't be discouraged. Don't live in the past. Be obedient. Make an impact for the kingdom. Do not waste your life on temporal things that are fading away. Let's push back, right? Let's change the course so that we can look back and not be like it was in verse 41 of chapter 17. It said, in generation after generation followed in their wanderings. Let's say, no, generation after generation was living for the glory of God alone and that there was no competing spectacles. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Father, I look in this room today. We so need help because what we talked about today, we cannot do or accomplish on our own. We can hear it, but Lord... We look in 2 Kings 17, we look at those Israelites, Lord, they had prophets coming, they heard it, and they didn't apply it. We are so much the same, Lord. Some of us can hear truth, but we don't apply it. Remind us of the simplicity this morning that Jesus, you save, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but by and through you. We love you, Lord. We lift these things before you and we pray. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and 
everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.